This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford here with Mark Sinell. Hi, Mark. Hi, Carolyn. Good morning. Good morning. So today, our guest is Jennifer Eubank. Deputy Director of CIA for Digital Innovation, also known as DDI. And Jennifer is responsible for accelerating the development and integration of digital and cyber capabilities across all of the CIA's mission areas. That's true. So let me say that again. Everything. Across all (laughs) of the CIA's mission areas. Yeah. Um, And we're so excited to hear from you today, Jennifer, get your opinions on the DDI and its contributions to the CIA. So welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation, Carolyn and Mark. I'm really excited about our conversation today. I love nothing more than, you know, sharing a little bit about the great work that the men and women of the CIA are doing on behalf of the American people and to talk about how this um, kind of intelligence landscape is changing dramatically along with the digital transformation we see around the world. Um, If I could just interject one little thought before we start. So we're here. What on the 1st of March. So uh, I wanted to acknowledge that as we have a conversation today about, you know, one of these topics I I love tremendously, and I think it's really critically important for the intelligence business. It is taking place against the backdrop of uh, events unfolding in Eastern Europe. And so just about a week ago, um, Russian troops invaded a sovereign nation and brought war back to the European continent in a completely unprovoked act. And so I just wanted to assure anyone who might be listening to the podcast that the CIA is intensely focused on our national security around the world. We're focused on that crisis and working as part of an integrated U.S. government team to do what we can to bring about a rapid end to these uh, senseless hostilities and the return of uh, Russian troops to the Russian Federation. So just wanted to ensure whenever people listen to this, that they understand that we are focused on, on what matters most at the moment. And I'm taking a few minutes out of an otherwise very hectic day to talk about this topic, which I think is is really important from a strategic perspective, but is perhaps not the most urgent topic on our plates today. Well, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, what you do is integral and so important to just everything that you you just mentioned. Let me see if I can get the words out right. But in supporting the sovereign nation. So what you do with the digital side of things and this mission, that cyber domain is incredibly important. So, yes, we've seen it play out uh, a bit so far um, Mm -hmm. in unprovoked attacks on uh, Ukrainian entities. So um, our role, and I think sometimes uh, this may not be known to to those outside of the intelligence community, and that's most of America, right? Um, Mm -hmm. we, We work for the U.S. government. We work for the U.S. people. Absolutely. But we also support our allies and partners around the globe. And, you know, any major challenge requires those partnerships to succeed. So anyways, that was my little kind of, you know, PSA at the beginning. Right. Yeah. No, no. We appreciate it. Yes. And it really leads right into let's talk about your story. Let's talk about more about your background, your role at the CIA, um, describe the position and what the DDI is. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I can't imagine that that most people would know what it is. I certainly knew very little about the CIA before joining it. But um, so generally speaking, I do, as you, you said, Carolyn, I lead the Directorate of Digital Innovation at the CIA, which is one of five large directorates that comprise the whole of CIA. Um, and some of these are gonna be a lot more familiar to, to your audience and your listeners. So uh, first is Directorate of Operations. Um, they conduct intelligence operations and collect information all around the globe. Um, they work very closely with our partners and allies in all those countries. Um, our Directorate of Analysis, uh, they produce what we call all source analysis, taking information from all over the place and weaving it together and producing objective analysis to inform policymakers about the key issues on, of the day and, and strategic issues. Our Directorate of Support is a truly extraordinary, probably uh, unparalleled anywhere else uh, organization. They do everything to keep this business running on a global scale. So it is you know, HR, finance, logistics, medical services, anything you could possibly imagine, um, and a global enterprise. And then we have our Director of Science and Technology, which is probably our, our closest cousins in the organization. And they develop technological capabilities to support our intelligence collection mission around the globe. And, you know, you might think of, you know, Q and a Bond film, but uh, without, yeah. without <laughs> as many high speed chases or, or deadly firefights. Um, and then there's there's DDI, uh, the part that I, I oversee. And if we think about the DS&T, our Director of Science and Technology, primarily focused on technology with a physical manifestation, um, we are that counterpart in the virtual or digital uh, world. In essence, all the ones and zeros for the organization. And we are the agency's newest directorate, and our mission spans are really broad uh, spans. So we've got uh, data, data science, artificial intelligence, enterprise information technology, cybersecurity, cyber collection, cyber analysis, and open source intelligence to support, as you, as you mentioned, Carolyn, um, CIA's mission in all aspects. And we also have another really important role. Um, and we have uh, established DDI University, and that is an, a learning enterprise dedicated to kind of raising the digital acumen of the CIA workforce as a whole, so that we actually have a workforce that's ready to leverage all of these capabilities, whether they're technological experts or not. Um, and in terms of my background, I did come uh, to this role through a non-traditional path. Um, my own career spans uh, well over, well, I hesitate to mention how long it is, <laughs> but uh, well over three decades. And um, initially as a foreign service officer with State Department serving, serving overseas with our diplomatic corps. Um, and then later, and for the bulk of this time with the CIA, but in the Directorate of Operations. And so um, that is, as I mentioned, uh, the organization that is posted all around the globe, working with our foreign partners, collecting insights um, that we feed into our analytic products here in Washington. And, and prior to this current role, there were a couple of key roles I think were, were formative and they do inform how I approach this job. Um, so one was um, spending the majority of my time overseas and serving as a chief of station. And, um, and that is the officer that's charged with leading these, these integrated teams in the field. Uh, I do have, um, let's say, a, a, one of, a favorite job. <laughs> not supposed to have favorite jobs, but um, I do along the way. Uh, one of those roles was working in Washington, overseeing all of CIA's engagements 
inside the United States. So think about all of our partnerships with intelligence community counterparts, mm -hmm. with U.S. government departments and agencies, with academia, but most importantly, I think for our conversation today with the U.S. private sector and industry, finding those, those valuable partnerships for both sides. And at only six years old at this point, um, the DDI, uh, as you call it, is... I would say kind of changing the very way we approach the intelligence mission. We're focused on this kind of deep and meaningful integration of digital capabilities across all of CIA's mission areas. And my role as deputy director of CIA for digital innovation is, is just that, you know, the integration of digital capabilities across the entire mission. And uh, in that role, um, I have the opportunity, the, the pleasure of leading probably the most talented, creative, and mission-focused workforce that I've ever seen. So, Jennifer, you, you hit on a few things there. There was a lot to unpack, but yeah. um, we'll, we'll try. So, in a, in a recent article that you did with the, with the Cypher Brief, you mentioned how the DDI approaches partnerships with industry to create innovation hubs. Um, well, you didn't mention that, but uh, you talked a little bit about in industry partnerships. Can you talk a little bit about how that partnership has helped contribute to the mission of harnessing data and artificial intelligence? Yeah, gladly. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. So for, for context, and, and maybe this is implied in what I've said already, but DDI's work driving innovation and forging closer partnerships with industry is really essential to the future success of the CIA. Um, our focus continues to be on kind of identifying those best in breed, cutting edge uh, capabilities and commercially available solutions yeah. and exploring how we can rapidly, let's say, leverage those to meet our evolving mission requirements. And there was a, a really great article um, on innovation a few years ago in the MIT Sloan Management Review. And um, it had a, an important line in there and it said, quote, you know, long-term organizational success depends on developing and implementing new ideas. And it's funny because it, it's complete common sense, right? Um, you would think, well, how is that not known? But in any large organization, I think it's surprisingly, it's an easy thing to forget. And so for us, you know, recent research that we've, um, we've explored really identifies a need to find new ways to enable what has been called uh, what, an adaptive space, right? So thinking about networks and organizational structures that mm -hmm. allow information, uh, resources and ideas to flow across in a way that um, can foster innovation. And for us, that often starts with kind of small entrepreneurial teams and then later kind of bigger programs and, and structures. And that's what we're trying to do at DDI. And that's one of the many areas where industry is tremendously helpful partner. Our outreach and connections with industry are helping us helping us do this, finding new, new ways to bring in new ideas, um, and rapidly put them in the hands of our officers uh, to enable success in our mission. So we're partnering with um, companies in industry to create these so-called adaptive spaces that allow us to rapidly experiment and do so in a flexible, often unclassified laboratory environment. And that's what I mentioned about the innovation hubs. Um, and those environments allow us to test out new ideas and capabilities to you know, to fail fast, to yeah. iterate, um, to rinse and repeat and innovate ultimately. And artificial intelligence is a critical piece of that. But I would say it's it's not the only one. Um, it is an important one because industry is leading uh, developments in that space. But 
our partnerships are more than let's say sharing, you know, latest algorithm or model. And although that's important, um, but it's also about working smarter and working side by side to create and deliver solutions to protect national security. Oh, just last thing, because I, I think it's an important disclaimer. So DDI isn't alone in this. There are other elements of the agency that are working in these new spaces. Not long ago, we created CIA Labs, um, mm. which was a, a really exciting effort to reimagine how we engage with industry and national labs in particular. So, sorry, Carolyn? Well, I, I love that quote from the article. And to your point, it seems like it's a no-brainer. Yeah, you've got to constantly be bringing in new ideas or to quote my dad, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. And we we have to remember that. And it's so easy to forget. And I love that your team, it sounds like, not only embraces this idea, but you're setting up these environments to foster and grow the ideas. And it sounds like you're sandboxing. So like you said, you know, fail quickly, rinse and repeat, all of that in a very safe environment that can then go out. So which brings me to back to this point of all the missionaries. <laughs> so yes. you're responsible for, for pushing out this digital innovation to all CIA missionaries. So how do you see technology evolving in the CIA and government agencies overall? Have you seen six years, your, yeah. your department's been around, right? So what have you seen? So it's it's an interesting question, and um, certainly, you know, we have been on this digital journey, uh, much like many other organizations. I think I, I like to think we're a little bit out ahead of some in industry in government, though it's not a race, right? We just um, happened to get in the race a little bit earlier. So, you know, I'll step back just a little bit to say that you know one of our strengths as a country is that we are home to kind of unparalleled innovation. Right. And and that is one of our greatest strengths as a nation, what industry brings and um, new capabilities. Um, and I, I look no further. We were we were talking about phones earlier. I look no further than the phone in my my handbag to see how technology has evolved dramatically in the past 10 years. And then think about where it's going to go in the next 10 years. It's, it's almost unimaginable. And I'll take one little kind of slight tangent when we're thinking about how technology is evolving, uh, its use, um, its focus in government, I think it would be a real mistake. And, and some people do this. It would be a real mistake to think about this whole, you know, second machine age and digital transformation as some sort of like a, a fancy IT modernization effort. And, you know, you think about elastic cloud computing, the big data, the internet of things, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence and machine learning. I mean, these things are, are transforming day-to-day -day life in America. And in many ways, they're doing the same to the intelligence mission. And so, you know, our digital journey, as I said, is kind of well underway, but we got a long way to go. And um, and I think the next few years are going to bring tremendous change. And so I think about what's coming. This is, you know, my, my, my sense, right, based on uh, the work that we're doing. I see the maturation of AI capabilities across the intelligence community. And with that ability to really harness the true power of data for, um, for us, we say for operational advantage and analytic insights. Um, and I see AI and automation in particular, um, taking you know, routine tasks off our daily calendars and freeing up time and mental energy for officers to devote to higher order cognitive functions, you know, things that only a human brain could do, but that are you know, tied up with the drudgery of routine business. 
And I see for us um, and many others, the expanded use of augmented and virtual reality. And, and if you think about the intelligence mission and what we're required to do all around the globe, different cultures, different languages, different environments, you name it, AR and VR can be really powerful tools in that, um, yeah. in that mission. Uh, cloud computing, of course, continues to be the foundation on which we're building all of this. But by thinking about how things are changing, we're going to need to develop new, let's say, forms of edge computing. And so to enable this, this processing at the edge, and for, for us, the edge is you know, global. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a real challenge. And another one that uh, folks may not think about, but um, just as with any organization that is devoted to work all around the globe, further refining and building our natural language processing models is going to be really critical, mm-hmm. um, particularly as we as we want to embrace this, this flood of open source information that's so readily available on the internet and you name it. Um, we're going to have to be able to you know, collect it, translate it, structure it, tag it, filter it, prioritize it, you know, add in your, your verb and do that all at scale and at machine speed. And one of the last things I'll mention as an emerging area for us um, is digital twins. So thinking about all these other capabilities, um, you know, digital twins might actually give us a really productive and cost-effective environment in which to experiment, innovate, fail, et cetera, and do so in a, a safer environment. What do you mean by digital twins? Yeah, you mean yeah, like yeah. Well, setting up an environment where you're doing backup? it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm yeah, not yeah. the huge expert on this, but yeah. um, setting up what's in essence kind of a digital mirror, replica of some, yeah. of some other issue event. Mm. Mm-hmm. place, you name it, and then using that in a sandbox environment, as you mentioned, Carolyn, to to explore how you would really tackle this challenge. Okay, so challenge is. when you do this digital twin kind of stuff, and even the sandboxing, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm fascinated by, well, we've got the metaverse coming online and augmented reality and virtual reality. Have you got to play with that? Do you get to go into this? Um, I, I, I have played a little bit. Um, yes, I, I, I have played with um, VR for sure. Um, you know, people are excited about showing off uh, what they're doing. So it, it has been eye-opening to put yourself in the, you think about putting yourself in the position of another person, another person's perspective. And so it's it's been powerful for lots of things. And this is these are early days in this space, mm-hmm. right? But um, it might put me in a different physical environment where I be- can become familiar with different country, different environment, et cetera. It's great for foreign language practice. Um, mm-hmm. That that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting, um, and just in terms of the the kind of inclusive and positive management environment we want to create. It also has applications in that kind of cross-cultural um, kind of organizational way. Put yourself in the mindset in the, in the person of somebody that you're um, trying to understand, empathize, support. Um, what is it like to be blind? More psychological. What is it like to be deaf? You know, what is it? Yeah. And, and to experience it as best you can, um, you know, um, VR can, can do that. The one, the one thing I also want to mention, just because you know, CIA is unique in this, this area, and, and I think it's valuable for our, our partners elsewhere to, to think about this. So just as we are, we are focused on leveraging these new technologies and bringing them to our, our complex mission, um, we also do so against the backdrop of adversaries who are investing in, in the same technologies and deploying increasingly aggressive versions, think, think cyber attacks that we see these days, mm-hmm. right? Think, think ransomware, think
think supply chain attacks. So there are a lot of other actors out there um, who are leveraging these same capabilities and doing so in a way that is um, not in our national security interests. And there's a subset of these actors um, whose governments I would characterize as digital autocracies, where they're developing and deploying these capabilities first to monitor and control their own societies, right? Mm. Their own societies end up being um, the guinea pigs for this experimentation. And then those capabilities can easily be um, kind of projected around the globe to adversaries at adversaries like us. And so if I think about that balance for us, we need to leverage or let's say understand, leverage, deploy these capabilities to support our mission. We need to defend against their use by adversaries um, uh, seeking to do us harm, do us the US harm, our partners, our allies harm. Um, and when I think about doing those two things, I come back to a couple of themes that, that come up a lot. One is integration. We need to be able to bring together all different perspectives to tackle these challenges. Um, innovation, we have to continually, continually innovate. In this environment, if you're not innovating, you're standing still, somebody else is innovating, which means you're falling behind. Mm-hmm. And we need to harness the power of, of the partnerships that we have, whether it's with industry or foreign governments, to ensure that we're all working together um, in our own national interest. I mean, handle doing this within your own agency is fascinating and uh, a little mind boggling in and of itself. Uh, but you talk about partnerships a little bit. And I wanted to ask you, could you talk a little bit about how you're working with uh, your brothers and sisters across uh, other government agencies to partner with them? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because we do, we do work very closely. Um, we no. have uh we recognize as an organization that we can't do it all alone, right? Right. Um, the more complex our mission, the more partnerships are essential to our um, our success. And so whether it's, it's resources, capabilities, authorities, uh, perspectives, um, we do work very, very closely with, um, frankly, all elements of the U.S. intelligence community. We mm-hmm. work closely with other elements of the U.S. government, Um, We work closely with governments all around the globe, our allies, friends, and partners, those with shared interests, and of course, with industry. And back to an earlier comment, you know, industry is is one of our private sector in the United States is one of our greatest strengths as a country. And it's, you know, I, I think of it as the engine of democracy. And you know that ability to to think and create and innovate and do so in an, in an environment that promotes that is a really powerful thing. And yeah. so partnerships for us are within the government and all of that, and I think that's what people expect. Um, but increasingly, it's with the private sector in the U.S. and finding that that opportunity. Right, business is in the business of business, and you know we get that. Um, but I think there's a sweet spot in there where. Um, industry can can do very well from a commercial perspective by doing good for the country. And I, I think there's there's a sweet spot in there that we um, need to keep working on. Yeah, Great. absolutely. Yeah. So you've mentioned already, we've talked about how new the DDI is. What led to the CIA creating this discipline? Because you mentioned also, you know, government can be a little stodgy, let's be honest. <laughs> And, and, you know, set in their ways. And and um, so this is like Mark said, it's a little mind blowing that you've created this within the CIA. So what what was the lead up to that? 
So, you know, it, it's a good question. And I give a lot of credit to um, the people who envisioned this reorganization of the CIA and created this new directorate in 2015. So it's just six years ago, six plus years ago. Um, but at the time, uh, a group of leaders recognized that the digital landscape was changing you know, dramatically, rapidly, exponentially, whatever effort you want to use in there. And we needed a new strategy to leverage all these new capabilities because the capabilities that we have within DDI were say dispersed in pockets all around the organization and not really integrated in any fashion. So that plus what we saw as the growing complexity of the intelligence mission generally, just harder to collect secrets about the plans and intentions of adversaries around the globe. Um, those two things together motivated agency leadership to re-examine just the way we operate as an organization. And so we formed mission centers um, that bring together capabilities from across the organization to work as an integrated team. And that is much the same way that our officers in the field work as integrated teams. And so at that time, we did create DDI to more effectively leverage the power of digital technologies as they're applied to this mission. Um, you know, we were living in a digital world outside of CIA, and we thought, you know, we should be doing the same inside. So we brought together all these fields that I mentioned, you know, IT, data, artificial intelligence, cyber collection, cyber mm -hmm. defense, open source, et cetera, et cetera, um, to harness their power for the agency in a way that was never possible before they were aligned as elements under one kind of overarching integrated team. And any art organization, I think, that's embarked on this, any large organization that's embarked on this digital transformation uh, will understand how deeply inter interconnected IT data and cybersecurity are. And so we took these three C-suite roles. So the chief information officer, chief information security officer, and the chief data officer, and lined, aligned them together under one overarching organization and digital strategy. And uh, it made intuitive sense to us at the time in 2015. And I think the results have really surpassed our expectations. I'll make one little comment as well about, two comments, one about innovation. So uh, we were given the name Directorate of Digital Innovation. There were lots of other names considered at the time. And so I take the word innovation in our title as not only an invitation, but a charge to do mm -hmm. this. Um, it's not an acceptance of the uh, that we will take innovation. It is a demand that we do so. And it was an invitation to just reimagine how we do our business. Um, and so that's been a really powerful thing in, a, in an organization that is mature and has cultural roots. You know, we've got our muscle memory, our organizational memory. This was an opportunity to just break, break, think differently. And um, I've been delighted that the organization has really embraced that. Um, so and so I secondly, wanted to ask you about. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So no, the second is <laughs> a little postscript. So we change all the time, right? Um, this was the first new directorate in over 50 years. That was a massive change, but we change uh, more incrementally all the time to meet um, challenges that we're facing around the globe. And so just uh, recently in January, we did create two new mission centers, one devoted to the strategic challenge that we face from the People's Republic of China. And the second is really unique uh, for CIA, and that is a mission center devoted to technology and transnational issues. And part of that will be an effort to kind of strengthen those partnerships with U.S. industries. I'm very excited about the work that they're going to be doing. Um, all to say that we continue to adapt and evolve and we'll do so as, as the mission demands. 
So we we all agree with this. Oh, I mean, we're in we're in the industry, so we're 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 lapping this up like a sponge. But I was curious (laughs) to know, and you did talk about that. You would get. I think you're getting ready to talk about this. I wanted to I wanted to ask you how the organization is embracing the mission of the DEI because um, not everybody's in our business, you know. And culture is often. That's the barrier, right? So, how, yeah, exactly. How is the rest of the CIA embracing you? I think that's really a good question. And, and culture is at the heart of it, right? And so um, it's it's fair to say that um, the first, first couple of years were really focused on creating something new. And anyone who works, works in a really large organization or leads a really large organization understands that there is a lot of of wiring and backroom work that gets done to realign people and programs and budgets and you know positions and you name it. And that was a really, really heavy lift. And so if I think about that as DDI 1.0, um, critical, critical foundational work. And you know, accepting the charge of innovation, thinking differently about everything, about how we manage personnel, how we think about programs, how we, how we work as teams, all of that reimagined. If that was 1.0, I think 2.0 is is really um, applying all of this to real mission problems today and demonstrating that we make a big difference and enabling people to gain insights that they wouldn't have had otherwise or Mm -hmm. gain capabilities they would not have had otherwise. And so I was overseas at this time when it was created and came back um, to take this position in 2019. So I wasn't there in those early days, but I imagine that there were um, there were moments when it wasn't intuitive how this new directorate was going to make a huge difference. I'm now in the position where there's an insatiable demand from all across the organization for what we do. Uh, we cannot possibly meet the demand. And it's just the same as in any multinational corporation or any large um, U.S. government agency and department. People understand that there is power in being a data-driven organization. There is power in um, open source collection, understanding what the world has to offer as the, we we talk about ints, intelligence, as the int of first resort. Let's understand what's out there before we start thinking about, you know, the very difficult, difficult business of deploying people to collect secrets, right? We we need to do that. And across the organization, I have to say, there has been um, a near universal embrace of kind of DDI as a core capability and as DDI helping to, in a sense, re-engineer how we approach this whole intelligence business. It helps It helps people accomplish the mission better, faster, more efficiently. Yeah. Uh, it, helps them, it helps people do their jobs, right? Yeah. Well, I had a, a little aha moment. You mentioned <laughs> th- that um, the augmented reality, the virtual reality can even help with learning a foreign language. Well, I'm, I decided I was going to try to learn Spanish again, pick it up from my middle school days. And so I'm, I'm using an app and I was like, this is futile. You know, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I really move to a Spanish speaking country and immerse myself in it. And you, you said foreign languages. I'm like, If I could have like these interactive (laughs) conversations in my own home, but in this virtual world, I mean, the power of that just hit me. Yeah, it is. It is. It is very powerful. You know, your brain is wired to to respond uh, to stimuli. And so, 
the ability to interact with, you know, even though you know it's not a real person, in the moment, it starts to feel real. Right. To interact with somebody who's responding in real time. And, you know, when you don't say something correctly, they don't understand you. <laughs> um, that, it's actually pretty helpful. Um, we don't have this deployed at, you know, at a massive scale. These are our early days. But just thinking about the ways that these technologies can be applied to our mission, pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very. Honestly, if I were you, I'd be like, Set me up a Laura Croft environment. Um, I need Spanish. I knew speaking. you were going to say that. <laughs> I have to relate everything to like, um, you know, media and movies. That's how I understand things. <laughs> so how are you with the DDI specifically? How did you go about attracting and recruiting new talent? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, so we we work in an exciting space, so that helps, um, and we do have the opportunity to attract and retain, I think, some of the nation's top talent to, you know, tackle our most sensitive and complex uh, security challenges. And and as this digital landscape has continued, kind of to move and evolve, um, we have leaned in, I think, pretty aggressively to recruit future CIA officers who are interested in kind of serving their country and advancing our national security interests, but doing so while leveraging these, you know, very valuable and in rare supply um, technical skills and doing so in an environment that encourages and demands creativity and innovation. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, different pieces of that puzzle, uh, you know, appeal to different people, right? Mm -hmm. But there's, there's something in there um, for almost everyone. And I'll, I'll highlight maybe two things about our, our recruitment efforts that are, uh, I think, unique and perhaps not known to everyone. Um, the first, we have a really amazing student internship program. Um, so we partner with colleges and universities around the country, and we offer opportunities for undergraduate and graduate students to you know, come to work and begin their careers at CIA. And, and we recognize that when um, you know, STEM graduates leave university, they're in super high demand. We're, we're candidly probably not going to match the financial rewards um, that you know, one of the big tech companies in Silicon Valley might be able to offer, but but we have lots of other things that uh, we think compensate for that for the right person. And so, many of our student interns work at CIA for a few or multiple or many semesters um, during their education, and they gain really practical, concrete experience. They work on real mission problems side by side with our um, our officers. So, you know, maybe they're developing the next generation software application or they're working on open source intelligence exploitation, um, whatever it is, they're right in the mix. And so um, that is pretty exciting, I think, for, for student interns who, who go back to university and then they hear about the boring jobs that their counterparts had, right? <laughs> and the second piece I want to highlight is that we're a really natural place for um those who've already been out working in the tech industry to consider a future career of national service, or at least for a time. And so um, we, we recruit, and this might be uh, news as well to a lot of people, we recruit a really vast array of talent. So within DDI, um, I think you can kind of figure out what those are based on our discussion. So cyber operations, data science, open source exploitation, IT, you name it. But the agency as a whole, you know, we hire we hire accountants and doctors and linguists and educators and logistics specialists and you name it. There's a role somewhere in the organization, right? We we do cutting edge science and we do calligraphy, right? There's there's 
everything is there. Um, and so if I, if I could maybe make a plug, I would encourage, you know, anyone who, who might be interested, student or professional alike, um, or at least exploring what CIA does and what uh, career options there are. Um, we actually have a pretty good website that talks about that, uh, CIA.gov. Um, it describes the various careers and what they entail. Um, you can apply right there if you're interested. And um, and that is a tremendous resource. It was a resource that wasn't really available when, when I joined. And so um, I wanted to flag that for folks. And um, in case you, you can't tell from my enthusiasm, I think it's a fantastic place to work. And I, I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd rather be. Can and we agree. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for having a purpose. Yeah, that is exactly right. And we've got purpose. That's for yeah. sure. And you get to do it every day. Like this is, it's not just a side thing. This is what you do every day, all day long. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it has its benefits um, and it has, it takes its toll as well. Um, we are a workforce that is dedicated to something very challenging, um, asked to do at times things that are considered impossible and we do so all around the world um, in some of the most challenging environments imaginable. And though I, I sit in Washington now in a comfortable office um, and I'm not, you know, in some, you know, less than comfortable environment around the globe, my mind still works that same way. So I come to work every morning and, and I'm thinking about adversaries and I'm thinking about adversaries who have my job in one of these you know, despotic regimes around the world devoted to undermining our national security. And I think about that. And, and so I approach my job much as I, I approached my many tours as chief of station overseas, where you're bringing together all the resources and the people and the capabilities and trying to make magic happen. I think about that. And in my sense is even though we're here, I have the mindset of, I don't know, like a team captain, and we're playing an away game with our biggest rivals, and we play together as one team or we lose. And that that really shapes everything about how I, I lead DEI. Yeah, it certainly puts it in perspective. So know. I warned you guys that time was going to beat us, right? <laughs> and time's, oh be time's beating us, I told you. <laughs> so. Yep. So we're going to we're going to get to a little lighter part of the conversation um, <laughs> our tech talk questions cool that are just meant to be you know like I said a little lighter a little fun kind of quick answers and let your innovative imagination take oh you wherever it will um Mark you want the first one yeah, this this lets us know whether you're uh, a Trekkie mm -hmm. or if it's, you know. Star Wars. The, he doesn't know. The, yeah. I have to list them for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do, you, what do you think the next big leap in tech's going to be? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a good question. Um, so. I think, you know, um, Carolyn, you mentioned the metaverse and mm -hmm. look, I, I am not an expert on the metaverse. It is a thing that has yet to be reality, right? Or virtual, but anyways, it has yet to emerge <laughs> in, in practice, but, but it is fascinating. You know, there are many technologies in this space that are all kind of overlapping and interconnected. A lot of those come out of the world where um, I'm uh, leading a team today. And so, so I am excited to see where it leads. Like what, what do these kind of mad geniuses have in mind? Um, so I'm, I'm very interested in where that's heading. Um, 
this isn't very light, but I will say I, I focus a lot or think a lot about, you know, 10 years down the road or more about what quantum re, uh, quantum computing at scale will actually bring. Mm. Um, and then to the Trekkie or um, Star Wars question, I have to admit, I am a space nerd. Um, yes. I'm a child. I'm a child of the 60s. And um, one of the things that I'm most fascinated by right now is and always have been in space. And I'm really excited to see what comes next with commercial space exploration. And um, I will say that, <laughs> you know, with William Shatner, who was 90 years old, you know, yes. went up in a rocket. So mm -hmm. that gives me hope that maybe I'll catch a ride on a rocket one day before I'm 90. I mean, at least in the metaverse, right? You can even go no, with Captain I want the Kirk. real. I know, <laughs> I me too. the real thing. <laughs> I'll do it with a VR headset first, and then there we yeah. go. Well, that's what Captain Elon Kirk. Musk said. He wants to do right. That's his chart. He wants to. He wants to go to Mars within our lifetime. Right? Well, yeah. he said that. I'm. I'm it's super exciting. fascinated by that. Yeah. Me too. So, knowing now that you're a fellow sister sci-fi, you know. <laughs> Um, what are some things, even as a kid now, you read, listen to for fun that inspire you? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, but I am a space fan. Um, I grew up in a family where my, my father uh, worked in uh, space industry. Mm. Um, and, and, okay, I'm going to give you the, the, the common busy professionals excuse that these days I don't have tons of time to read, but I want to flag a couple of things. One, a little plug. So um, the intelligence community has a professional journal, which um, it comes as news to, to many. So um, every society of professionals has, many of them have a, a journal and we have one. It's called Studies in Intelligence. And I've been on the editorial board for many years. And so that is a resource that's available to anyone who's interested. It's available on the CIA.gov website. You can see we have a quarterly publication um, that explores really fascinating issues uh, connected to the intelligence and national security mission. So I do spend a lot of time uh, reading and uh, critiquing pieces for uh, our publication. That's one thing. If I think about what's on my nightstand right now, um, my nightstand right now reflects, you know, where where the world is heading. So one is um, just a small volume called uh, Full Digital Nation, and it's about Estonia, um, a country I've visited many times and, and love. Uh, it's about their goal to digitize and democratize government services. So that's not light reading, but it's interesting reading to me. And uh, the second one is uh, The Party um, by Richard McGregor. So again, not light reading, but I think uh, timely reading. And it's an in-depth exploration of uh, China's Communist Party and their role in uh, China's rapid advance on the global stage. And I think the lightest reading I've had recently was uh, a novel, uh, 2034 by Admiral Stavridis. Um, and, uh, you know, it envisions this, you know, cataclysmic, you know, world war. But, but one of the most interesting aspects of it was his, his way of weaving in cyber and cyber attacks as, you know, as catalysts and weapons throughout what ultimately becomes a devastating world war. Um, but that I found very interesting. And I'll mention one more just because it was, it was interesting and inspiring in its own way. And that was a, uh, a book called The Girl with Seven Names. And it's um, uh, by Hyun Myo Lee, I think is her name. I wrote that one down because I always forget her, her first name. But 
it's about a North Korean woman's uh, high risk um, efforts to flee uh, tyranny in North Korea and to create a new life, a new person, a new everything um, in a different country. So that one was inspiring and interesting. Wow, those good all, reading those list. Are all, those are all awesome. I'll have to say, Jennifer, your light reading's a little different than mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's an occupational hazard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I always get really good recommendations from these shows and our guests. So, all right, Mark, you get the last question. Oh boy, hold on. Um, okay, what do you think uh, what piece of technology do you think's had the biggest uh, impact on American culture? I would struggle to think of anything that's had more impact than um, than than this. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, you know, when I was young, what I'm holding in my hand right now would have been considered nothing short of a miracle. Right. And, and we want to go the, the Star Wars or Trekkie route, right? You know, Star Trek had communicators and, you know, we just thought that was all fantasy all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every so often I stop and I think about what I'm holding in my hand, I realize that I have more computing power than existed in the entire space program early on than the entire space shuttle program. And, and, and that's, you know, frankly, extraordinary. And it has changed so much of our lives. These are yeah. more powerful than Captain Kirk's communicator. That's exactly right. That's exactly Watch your right. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't think of anything right now that nothing else comes to mind that I think has had more pervasive impact on culture than, than smartphones. And many ways good, a few ways not so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today, especially in the environment that we're in right now, as you mentioned at the top of our show with the struggle that Ukraine is facing. Thank you for taking time to talk about this. It's such an important topic and to share what the CIA is doing and what you're doing for our country and for our world. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Carolyn and Mark. It's been a real pleasure and uh, I enjoy nothing more than talking about the great work that officers at the CIA are doing. So thank thank you you for your service. Yes. Pleasure. And thank you to our listeners and for our sponsor, Dynatrace. Listeners, if you liked this episode, please share it, smash the like button. Jennifer gave us a lot of great resources that we will list in the show notes as well. So be sure to share and we will talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.